0: PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, Episode 19. This week's episode of the PKE Black Box is brought to you by the Zootocomic War of the Woods by Matthew Pets. War of the Woods is a classic alien invasion story told from an entirely unique point of view, that of the animals of the New Jersey Pine Barrens. War of the Woods is an epic adventure along the lines of The Road, Lord of the Rings, and Aliens. It follows the quiet moments of survival and the explosive moments of a planet on the brink. At its core, it is about a father and son and the bonds we all share during extraordinary times. You can check out War of the Woods by Matthew Pets at Zootocomic.com. Comics.com. Once again, that's Zudacomics.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host Sean Pryor, aka Stan Leroy. This week's episode, uh, my good buddy Jim Miller, aka Big Jim, who has served time as a storyboard animator uh, for a couple of uh, cartoons such as Ed, Ed, Nettie, and, and Kid vs. Cat, is stopping by the show to talk to us about the processes of animation, and we also talk about the past present and future of animation as well we give some insight and share some opinions and after that interview is finished uh, myself and Donny salvo we wrap up some comics talk um, here and there a little a little conversation that i accidentally left off of a previous episode so we we put it on the end of this episode just for you but before we get started with that i got some things i need to talk to you about As many of you uh, PKD Black Box listeners are well aware this past weekend was the CGS Super Show, a nice uh, get together featuring some of your favorite artists and creators and uh, comic books and just everything in between. Uh, PKD Media held it down at the P- at the uh, CGS Super Show this weekend and I must say um I had a fantastic time. It was a wonderful show, a fantastic show. I um <laughs> it was rough uh, coming up, uh, drive taking the drive from uh, Lexington to uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. I was a tad bit under the weather and essentially driving up to Reading, PA, with the flu on the way up. But I finally got there on Thursday night for a little meet and greet. Um, you know, met the met some of the uh, CGS guys again. I've known those guys for years, so it's like a family reunion and other friends from the comic forums and everything. And then Friday came along and got through Friday and started to recover from what I guess was a temporary sickness, and uh, got through that and helped set up and got pre- prepped and prepared for uh, Saturday. The, the uh, actual convention was Saturday and Sunday. It was mind-blowing. Um, our area uh, was loaded to the hilt. Um, the PKD Island, as people kind of joked about it, had myself and Chad Siccone and artist uh, Andrew Charpar, Harold Jennett, Dean Stahl, um, Andy Jewett. Um, Bill Blankenship and Jeremy Still, Julian Lytle, and Big Jim. And they turned it out. They turned it out. They were busy the whole weekend. Uh, there wasn't a moment where they weren't sketching or, you know, sharing a laugh or having a good time. And I was taken back by the number of people that were stopping by the area to pick up, you know, the newest Mercury in the Mer trade and the agents of cult trade. I've never moved that many books in my entire life, ever. Not at any convention, not ever. And I've, you know, I've been doing conventions for almost two years and never received that type of love before. And it was um, all inspiring. It was inspirational. Um, it was amazing. But not only that, I mean, I got to really talk with a lot of, um, you know, really nice and and cool people in the industry. I got to see Jamal Igle again. I got to, you know, have a conversation with Jamal Igle and Martheus Wade, you know, while, you know, while eating dinner at Third and Spruce, you know, you, you know, stuff like that doesn't happen every day. I got to talk with Mike Norton. I got to, you know, see Katie Cook. I got to meet, um, you know, Josh and Kat Finney of uh, Titanium Rain fame. I got to meet um, Brian, um, Brian. Uh, Brian J. Glass, the gentleman who writes Mice Templar, he's like right across from me, you know, and I got to talk with him, you know, I got to meet other people that want to collaborate on future projects. And, you know, it was just, it was wow. It was amazing. You know, we were so busy. A lot of us were so busy. We didn't really have time to like, you know, take a break during the show to like walk around and like, you know, talk to people. I I didn't get the the chance to meet um, Luis and Walter Simonson. I, I am still a little bitter about that, but, you know, but the show was so awesome. You know, I, I can't worry about that. You know, hopefully, I'll have the opportunity to meet them again, and when I do, I'll definitely talk to them. But I mean, there were so many people to talk to, so many things to you know to look at. So so much wonderful art. Yeah, I, I got to meet a lot of people from the comic forums. I got to meet uh, Jason Wood from Eleven O'Clock Comics face to face, and we got to rap for a minute. I got to meet you know Daryl and Maat, and you know an additional family from the from the Fixers Hideout. I got to see Ian Levenstein from Comic Timing, Crazy Raph Suhu uh, from the Geeks Unite Network. I mean, all types of forum members, like um, I want to say is it Scott, Scott Boss 307, I think, and. You know, the, you know, Doug Taylor, Robert Taylor, Chad Burdett, a.k.a. Unknown Fanboy from the Forum, stopped by and gave me uh, some of his homebrewed beer. By the way, which I'm having right now, I'm drinking some. The cap says R-A, so I guess that means that's some type of raspberry ale. And I got to admit, it's quite tasty. You did a good job on that, Chad. Solid work on that. Um, I mean, there were just so many incredible people that just stopped by to show us love. And I want to say... You know, thank you to everybody. Yeah, Joey Lucio from the um, from the Matinee Idols podcast came with olden Son from the forums, and there's just so many wonderful people. And you know, and if I if I got to if I forgot to mention your name, please charge it to my head and not my heart. Vince B stopped by for for a moment, hooked me up with some old school Who's Who's Who DC comics. Man, that was awesome. Uh, Russell from Legion of Dudes stopped by, and he you know he found a couple of who's who's. I got to see Ken from the Legion of Dudes, and from uh, and from Too Old to Grow Up. I, you know, just everybody, just so many people, so many people. Um, real gone from the forums and Twitter, and just it, the amount of people is trust me, it's it's just astounding. But it was a wonderful show. Um, We had a raffle, we raised, uh, if memory serves me right, we raised a total of $200 and $50 will will go to CGS. I gotta cut that check this weekend. Um, If you did win a raffle prize and you were not, um, and you weren't able to claim it, I've got it here. I'll start contacting people this weekend to let them know that they've won and I'll be sending those out shortly. Um, It was um, a fan, just a fantastic show. And it renewed my faith I um, in doing this, not saying that I had my doubts, but I had a, I had a rough Thursday and an even rougher Friday before the show started. And, you know, I kind of doubted myself a bit. And I kind of doubted, you know, if, if, I, if, if, you know, if comics was really what I really need to be in. But this reaffirmed that. And I don't have that fear anymore. And I don't have that doubt anymore, you know. And I'm not scared anymore, you know what I mean? So it's a good feeling. But I got to give a big shout out to uh, Jason Grice, aka the Darth Knight on the forums he also serves as our marketing director uh, that brother helped out helped us out in a big way um, you know driving folks around um, you know all during the super show weekend helping me out you know trying to recover from my sickness hooking a brother up with orange juice and chicken sandwiches from wawa and whatnot and just being an overall just great person in general and you know, Brother, I love you, and I can't say thanks enough for everything you've done, done not only for PKD, PKD Media, not only for me, but for everybody else. Um, you know, you're a real human being, man. You, you know, you're one of the few people I know that talk to talk and walk the walk, and I, I got to say thanks. And also, mad shout outs to uh, Dave DeWanch, the gentleman who helped put together 100% uh, Super Show Approved. You know, we're going to make it real big next year. And you know we're going to get a lot more involvement next year, and we're going to make it help Super Show be even bigger and better, not saying that they need our help, but hey, we just want to help collaborate to you know to make things always go smooth. Um, two more things about Super Show: um, I was the recipient of the two thousand and ten Spirit of Comics Award uh, presented by CGS at their live recording near the end of the show on Saturday. Um, that is an honor i I'm, sp- I'm still speechless about it um, I'm real humble about it, and I'm very thankful to c g s for you know for bestowing that award unto me. I know it, what it means to them and how Lem uh, the gentleman um, that used to run Golden Eagle may he rest in peace um you know he brought all those geeks to get you know all the cGs crew together in one way shape or form, and now they're doing what they do for the love of comics and you know Lem loved comics and I'm going to do my best to continue to spread that love throughout. And I'm going to keep hustling and I'm going to keep trying my best to do right and make these comics. And I just, you know, I want to say thank you to CGS because they didn't have to give me that award, but they did. And I'm thankful for it. And I'm going to do my damn best not to let anybody down on that. And last but not least, on Sunday, um, I was part of an independent comics panel along with myself, Scott Bradley of Resolution Comics, Mike M. Bolden, um, Martheus Wade, and Zach Cruzy. And it was a really great panel. Panel. It was a real intimate panel. And it was fantastic. Hey, I learned some things that even, hey, I, even I didn't know about, you know. And you know all the struggles a lot of us Indian small press people go through. It's a fantastic show. It really is. There's a little something for everybody. And if you love art you really got to come out to this show because you can get some killer sketches. I got some killer sketches too, <laughs> too, at the show. So I can't stress enough about the Comic Geek Speak Super Show. I know I talked a lot about it this month, or oh, it actually, it's past month by the time this episode airs, but it's well worth it. And I really think that uh, you know that you should go. So to everybody that was down for the show and came by, and if I didn't mention mention your name, please charge it to my head and not my heart. Um, Bill and Just Bill. Oh, and Meg, she was new, and uh, I think a forum member still. The list goes on and on. In all honesty, thank you and bless you, and we're going to keep moving. (laughs) All right, now for those that weren't able to go to the show this weekend, as you know, I had two, uh, we, PKD Media has two new uh, trades coming out, or they actually debuted at Super Show. Um, the first being the Mercury and the Murd trade, uh, Volume 1 Collateral Damages, collecting the first six issues of Mercury and the Murd. That trade will now be available for sale at DCBService.com and HeroesCorner.com, effective the month of April, at a nice reasonable price trust me we ain't gonna overcharge you for 130 page plus black and white trade paperback we're gonna take good care of you um so if you go to heroescorner.com or dcbservice.com in april you can order a copy of of mercury and the murd volume one collateral damages featuring art by chad Siccone and dave to also featuring pinups by various artists and just stories galore it's a fun buddy cop comedy you know about it already um the 75th person that orders a copy of Mercury and the Murd Volume 1 on DCB Service or or Heroes Corner will receive a free official soundtrack um, with all the music that has been composed for Mercury and the Murd by Sean Silverstar, one of my many alter egos. No, I'm not schizophrenic. That's just what I do. Um, The 150th person that pre-orders a copy of Mercury and the Murd Volume 1 from DCBS and Heroes Corner will receive a 11 by 17 page of original art from one of the Mercury and the Merd comics autographed by myself and artist Chad Ciccone. And the 300th customer that orders a copy of the Mercury and the Mer trade on DCB service and Heroes Corner will win a free iPod shuffle. You know, it's just it's just our way of giving back to a community that's given a lot to us. So this is just my way of saying thank you if you do order it. So the seventy-fifth, the seventy-fifth person that orders orders our book gets a free soundtrack. The hundred-fiftieth person that orders uh, that orders the book gets a free page of original art from Chad Ciccone, uh, by Chad Ciccone, autographed by Chad Ciccone and myself. And the three hundredth person that pre that orders a copy from DCB Service and Heroes Corner will win a free iPod Shuffle. That's what we do. And that offer will be available at Heroes Corner and at dcbservice.com. So please, by all means, I really hope that um, you you rush out there and and order a copy. And if you do, I thank you and I appreciate it. And if you have any questions, you can always email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Now. This weekend, I had some people ask me some questions about the podcast. Um, there was a little bit com- of confusion as to uh, how to download the podcast from the actual PKD Media site. On the site, sometimes I'll post, I'll post episodes. Like, um, if you scroll down underneath the comic, you'll see that the episode is available for play, but you can't download it there. This is what you. This is what you can do. There are a couple ways to get the podcast if you're not too familiar um, with how our site works. What you can do is, is that if you go to PKDmedia.com and you see our banner, it's a, it's a banner that rotates all the comics um, as far as when they debu- debut or, or the days that they drop. Look right underneath that banner and you'll see like all these links from, you know, from home, contact us, conventions, creators, PKD comic store, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's a link that says the PKD Black Box podcast. If you click on that link, that will take you directly to the site where every episode of the PKD Black Box is stored. And you can download episodes directly from there. Just so you know. For some reason, the way iTunes works, iTunes carries like a bevy of of our episodes and then drops the rest. And when a new episode comes in, they drop one out. So if you want to listen to previous episodes or download previous episodes, only thing you got to do is look right below our banner. The PKD Black Box podcast link is is right there, along with the link to the PKD form and everything else. Just click on the PKD Black Box podcast. That takes you right to the page, and you can download episodes to your heart's content or pick up the RSS feed or pick up the iTunes feed. So now you know. And one last thing before we get this show started, uh, my good buddy, Steve Bryant, he is the creator of the comic Athena Voltaire, a fantastic um, pulp romp of adventure and excitement and danger. I see her as like the female Indiana Jones. She is just fantastic. It's an awesome comic. And Steve Bryant has started a project Kickstarter um, project Kickstarter, uh, uh, fundraiser to uh, create the latest uh, Athena Voltaire comic. And if you go to uh, Kickstarter.com and go in the search and go look in the uh, search variable and type in Athena, you will see um, the Athena Voltaire project, as told as um, described by Steve Bryant. He's trying to raise money to create the latest volume of Athena Voltaire, and you know me being a fan of independent and small press comics. If you're a fan of Steve Bryant, if you if you donate something to this project to get it off the ground, um, you know there's. There's plenty of goodies um, available for you if you do donate. I think the minimum of donation is ten dollars, if I'm not mistaken. Double check um, if you go to Kickstarter.com. You can take a look there and get all the information you need. Um, I know he has X amount of days to raise X amount of dollars, and if he doesn't raise X amount of dollars, then he doesn't receive the funding. But if he does, then he has the funding to make said comic or graphic novel. So um, I'm a big fan of Steve's. I'm one. Of, I'm a very strong supporter of Steve. So. If you're a fan of Steve Bryant, if you're a fan of independent comics, and if you know of kickstarter.com, go there, take a search, and uh, check it out, and if if you got some spare cash, donate. Thank you. And now, on with the show. I'll tell you what, how about if we start off like this? Um, you know, because I know you. I, I met you face-to-face um, back at the first uh, CGS Super Show in 2008 um, at one of the uh, get-togethers before the show started. You know, we waxed a uh, politic on uh, old-school cartoons and, like, the-, the state of animation and the state of the cartoon industry, as it were. I was like, you know what, man? I was like, this Jim is a real cool dude. And he's good people. But I know you. But for the people that may not know who uh, Jim, aka Big Jim Miller, is, can you tell the folks what you're all about?
1: Well, I don't know. Is that really that interesting? (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, okay, let me break it down like this On the animation side, because you are an animator, what cartoons have you worked on? Well, primarily,
1: I was a storyboard artist for. Oh,. I guess it works out to be about eleven or twelve years on uh, Cartoon Network's series *Ed, Ed, Nettie*. Um, that was where I was primarily. Uh, I worked on all five seasons, all the specials, and uh, the the uh, ninety minute, I guess, movie that came out in uh, November of last year. Uh, after that, I worked on a few other things, mostly. Uh, stuff that I don't know if it would be seen outside of Canada. Uh, And I'm currently working on a a series called Kid vs. Cat, which is uh, airing on Disney XD, around the globe.
0: I've watched many cartoons. I've read plenty of credits. But, you know, still like as far as the whole state of animation goes in making a cartoon, I don't really know the whole process. So what exactly does a storyboard artist do?
1: Well, essentially... It's sort of like uh, we're the first step after a show is scripted. So we get just the text version of the story. And uh, when we worked on at Ed Nettie, we didn't even get a script. We got what was called an outline, basically is sort of um, a fleshed out plot. and that so that gave us room to really expand on the story, change things around, and put a lot of the jokes and gags and stuff in. Some shows are more scripted than others, others are more fluid, but uh, basically the storyboard artist is the first person to do anything visual with the cartoon. Yeah. So we get the script and we uh, we start blocking it out and drawing it up as if it, it's a comic strip. If you see a storyboard page, it's usually uh, three or four panels on a page, uh, and that's the... There's three or four squares, and that's basically how the camera would look on on the TV. It's just a square like a TV. And um, we design all the shots, plot out all the action, and um, break it all down so that when it goes on to the next stages, they know exactly what they're doing.
0: Okay, cool. Cool. That see so it's kind of like like say for instance with like Hollywood films how they storyboard, how they storyboard films before they actually shoot the movie so they get a perspective of how they want the movie to be so it's kind of like the same thing but for cartoons.:
1: Yeah it's a little bit different from the live-action stuff just in the sense that um, the live-action things are more about um, camera movement and, and the uh, composition of the scene and, and, and the placement of the camera. And all that stuff is true in the animation boards as well, but we have to really focus as well on the acting of the characters and the expressions and, uh, you know, basically breaking down the action because it's going to go to an animator. And uh, most of those guys uh, don't have the time to do a lot of extra, for lack of a better word, thinking. You know, they they just want to be able to get their scene and just go, and they don't want to have to worry about, is this character supposed to bend down and pick up this and where does that happen? and all that sort of stuff? So it's a little bit more involved than movie storyboards, not necessarily better, but just just different.
0: Okay. So like say, for instance, so after you break, you say you do the story, you do the storyboard, the animator you know takes it and runs with it, but they have a process that they got to do because they got to get this done in X amount of time. I take it, like, with with a lot of um, cartoons, the animation's done overseas. In a situation like Ed Ed Nettie, was that all in-house, or was that, like, part in-house or, or, and part overseas? For that one,
1: it was all the animation was done at a studio called Yaeson in uh, South Korea. Ah. But because of that, all the boards were highly, highly detailed. Someone jokingly said that we were the most detailed storyboards in the industry at the time. I don't know how true that is. <laughs> but uh, they they were they looked like comic book pages a lot of times in terms of the quality of the drawing because the director wanted to make sure that when stuff went overseas and was animated that there was little to no room for error
0: oh I, I can't you can't blame them yeah no you can't you, it just it involved
1: a lot more time and effort but uh, you know I think for the most part the the, the attention to detail and the quality is apparent in whether you like the show or not it's it's one of the best animated uh, or was one of the best animated half hour shows uh, on Cartoon Network
0: like the cartoons that we grew up on like, how many cartoons did we watch where there were either editing gaffes or um, actual animation gaffes in, in the show? I remember watching an episode of Challenge of the Super Friends where some of the Super Friends were, like, locked up in this uh, Legion of Doom prison. And it started with, I think, Aquaman on the first end, and it pans to the other end of the uh, – from one end of the prison to the other. And it starts with Aquaman, and it ends with Aquaman. <laughs> you know or the colors would be colors would be backwards on certain characters on other uh, on other cartoon series you know and it's all the stuff that you don't see it you don't see it long enough to register it but once you watch an episode like 15 times it's like right there in your face yeah you, you know it's like watching uh, star wars a new hope and when uh, c3po and r2d2 are stuck in that one room in the death star and the and the door rises up and the stormtrooper hits his head yes you know i never noticed that for 20 years
2: yeah,
1: no, I hear you.
0: And then a friend of mine points it out to me, now I can't escape it. Well,
1: a lot of those all those gaffes and stuff, especially the the color gaffes or, or cell gaffes, a lot of those got left in because it was just too expensive to have it reshot, I would imagine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Shooting a cartoon with an animation camera with cells and everything is a very involved and tedious process. So if there was a cell misplaced or a, a color that was wrong it would often cost them a lot of money to go back and reshoot it. Nowadays, with the digital stuff, digital coloring, digital compositing, if there's a problem, it's just a couple clicks of a button to go in and fix it. So I think you'll find that with a lot of the more modern stuff, that happens on occasion, but it happens a lot less.
0: I got a question for you, then. Seeing that you talked about digital, seeing how like so many things are going digital, how come... I guess I guess what I'm trying to get across is how come there aren't how come there isn't a, a ginormous cartoon explosion? And I'm not talking like flash cartoons because we could i could I could put a side panel on that because I have issues with some flash cartoons. Oh, actually, a lot of flash cartoons, but we are in this digital revolution, um, and I'm just wondering how come we don't have a cartoon explosion because of this digital revolution?
1: Well, I think the main thing is that even though we're in a digital explosion, It still costs a lot of money to make these things. Mm. Um, You know, you got to deal with paying your employees, and you got to pay your director, and you got to pay your voice actors, and all that stuff adds up. The the money that you save by doing stuff digitally would probably gets folded into other areas of your production, whether it's buying uh, and updating equipment, having—I mean, we never used to have to have an IT department. (laughs) Yeah. To make a cartoon, you know, it's not very often uh, when you were working with pencil and paper that your pencil would crash and you would lose your drawings, you know, like so. That happens now. You can you have to have text to come in and help support the process, and all all that stuff still costs money. And you know, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with TV budgets. Maybe there's slash I don't have a lot of inside knowledge, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there's there's budget cuts all around and there's people who want to maybe there's people hanging on to money who shouldn't be i don't really know
0: yeah no 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 No. i, I understand it it's just it, it you know sometimes like i'll forget and, i mean we all forget like the little things in between like even though we have advancements there are still things within the advancements that still cost exactly there's there's always a cost somewhere no matter no matter how you flip it whether it be old school animation or new school animation and see and i guess what hurts me is is that even though we are on the digital side and i see like a lot of flash cartoons some of the, some of these flash cartoons that are on television especially cable television are done so poorly that i don't even want to look at them
1: no i agree i'm personally not a a big fan of flash as a program or as flash as a way to do cartoons um, I think that, that it's a program that if it was used to its strengths Could potentially be a, a very good program I mean, Flash would make If they wanted to go back and do old Hanna-Barbera style limited animation with Flash Which some of them do I, I think that would be perfect for what, how Flash works But a lot of people want to do full animation in Flash Which is really tricky and hard to pull off Mm-hmm. A lot of the things, for me anyway, from my perspective, it's just easier to draw it, uh, but no one wants to do it by hand because it takes so much longer. Yeah,
0: and and everybody wants that quick fix. <laughs> everybody wants right, that quick, I mean, yeah. oh, go ahead. the
2: executives
1: in charge, and I, I can't begrudge them, um, It's they get to see a final product in a lot shorter amount of time than if it was done by hand. I mean, the difference is substantial on an old... 2D, uh, drawn by hand cartoon. When we finished a storyboard, it would be four to six months before we started seeing uh, final animation on stuff, you know. And uh, with a Flash cartoon, it can be a matter of weeks from when you hand in the board to when you start seeing animation. Wow. And for for executives, a lot of whom aren't uh, necessarily artists, uh, that's appealing. They get to make calls, they get to remember what it is they had issues with before, and they get to see the changes implemented very quickly. And you don't, they don't get any, well, we can't do that now because there's no time and, you know, we're up against the deadline. They, there's more flexibility for them.
0: I don't know. I guess it's just something about it that just irks me. I mean, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm an old school guy. I'm in, you know, I'm in my 30s and, you know, and I've grown up seeing this whole progression, of animation i mean from the really bad marvel superheroes cartoons where they just took comic book panels and kind of animated them a little bit to you know challenge of the super friends to actually i take that back let's go i'll go i'll go to the whole space ghost and dino boy and birdman and galaxy trio because there were some things that used to crack me up about Hanna Barbera, and we can actually I actually would like to get to this because you mentioned the yogi bear stuff When Hanna-Barbera got together and decided to, uh, you know, put their talents together to form their studio and whatnot, they used to work for an industry where cartoons were real big as um, shorts in movie theaters. Yes. And, you know, because, like, you know, you watch the original Tom and Jerry cartoons, the original ones, the ones that were originally in movie theaters before a movie would start, like, you know, Three Stooges and stuff like that. Those cartoons are beautiful. I mean, you play them on TV right now and they still look absolutely beautiful. They're well put together, very well composed, beautiful backgrounds, very just lavish colors, everything. And then once television was really starting to take over things a little bit, more people were watching TV, And you still had people coming into the movie theaters, but it was cost prohibitive. Prohibit. I cannot say prohibit. Prohibitive. (laughs) There we go. Prohibit. Screw it. It was costly. (laughs) It it was costly to continue to make these cartoons. And like studios, animation studios across Hollywood were just shutting down left and right. And from that, you know, Hannah Barbera, you know, Hannah and Barbera, Hannah Barbera got together. They formed, this little, they formed their little studio and they said, you know what, we can do animation for television. We can't do it like we did it in the, move for, for the movie theaters, but we can still put together something that's still very, you know, it's, it's still well put together. It may not be as flashy as the original Time and Jerry that we had in the movie theater, but it'll still be entertaining and it will be low cost and we'll make, you know, X amount of dollars off of it. And we can just keep spending stuff and spending stuff and spending stuff. And it worked.
1: Yeah, I mean, they invented what they called planned animation, which a lot of people call limited animation, uh, and it really did revolutionize the way cartoons were done for television. And, I mean, we still, we're still still feeling the effects of that uh, in the industry 50, 60-plus years later. I mean, the, their planned animation system greatly reduced the... The cost of making these cartoons to the point where they could just crank stuff out. I mean, there's that whole er- era in the mid '60s to the mid '70s where, I mean, you have and Gorilla and Grape Ape and Jabberjaw and speed, and all these cartoons that I guarantee you most of them only lasted a season, but there were tons,
0: absolutely tons of them. Oh yeah, well, Hanna Barbera had Saturday Morning on lockdown on every single network. Yeah. I mean, every single network. There's a period of time where, I mean, you couldn't sneeze and not hit a Hanna-Barbera cartoon on, on, on Saturday on any, on any channel, any given channel. That's how much they had it on lockdown. They were like, let's see, how can I, how can I put this? They were like, I guess, like the Yankees of, of cartoons. Everybody wanted them. Pretty and much. Were, and, and they wanted and they would pay top dollar. You know, they would pay top dollar to get them because, you know, they generated a lot of of revenue. They pulled in advertisers. You know, they got kids to watch TV. You know, so, you know, they were able to get advertisers to uh, these stations were able to get advertisers to sell their cereals and sell their toys and and everything. You can't blame them. They were just able to constantly spin off characters. It's amazing. I have this um, Hanna-Barbera Treasury, and it talks about how the first Hanna-Barbera cartoon, Rough and Ready, um, uh, As like a, a a cat, it was a cat and dog team, which like you know fought up against spies and and all this other stuff. I'm still trying to really find out whether this was the first prime time cartoon or not, because some articles I've read said it was the first prime time cartoon, and some articles don't specify it, so I can't be 100 <coughs> sure on sure on that. But right. if there if there's no Rough and Ready, there's no Yogi Bear. If there's no Rough and Ready, there's no Flintstones. Which for Ages was the longest running primetime cartoon in American history until the Simpsons, you know, until the Simpsons crushed that record. Yeah. You know, and but, crushed oh, it by a mile, too. Oh, like. oh yeah. Oh yeah. I I, I I mean, I know a lot of people complain and say the Simpsons have, you know, jumped the shark a long time ago. To me, you know, it's 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 hit and miss, but the fact that they're still able to do stories after twenty seasons is amazing. Yeah. There would be no Simpsons. If there wasn't the Flintstones, then there would be no Simpsons. If there wasn't a show, a Hanna Barbera show, mind you, called "Wait Till Your Father Gets Home," right? You know, I mean, that was the first, um, you know, like domestic, domestic uh, sitcom that talked about topical issues. It was kind of like All in the Family without the, you know, the, the super silliness of the Simpsons. But you know, no, no, that was like way ahead of its time in the seventies.
1: And it has a very different style from what I've seen than typical Hanna-barbera stuff too it looks uh, from what I again from what I've seen it looks a little bit more in style like uh, the schoolhouse rock yes things with that sort of uh, the ink lines thinner and uh, has a very um, 70s early 70s feel to it
0: oh no no question and and that was the last primetime animated series on television until The Simpsons huh I mean, the last, it was the last, I mean, so it was like, it was probably, I think it's like between, I guess, like 10, 10 to 15 years, but yeah, I mean, but Hanna-Barbera laid the landmark, you know, they laid that stone down for for everybody, you know, there's no filmation if there's no Hanna-Barbera, I mean, right. I know it's just two different companies, but I mean, everything starts, so much started at, at Hanna-Barbera, so.
2: I,
1: well, and then the next thing to really revolutionize how animation was produced for television, was the advent of these overseas animation houses and that happened in um, the early to mid 80s um, i've been told that one of the first projects to go overseas i could be wrong on this was uh Nelvana in toronto was doing ewoks and droids for lucasfilm yes i think a- was that
0: on ABC? That was Honestly. on ABC, yes it was.
1: Those apparently were some of the first things, from what I've been told, that went overseas. And because the overhead and costs were way down, they were able to crank these things out. And essentially, that's horrible to say, but a lot of these animation studios were essentially sweatshops. Hmm. And they could just crank stuff out. Uh, I mean, you go back and look at some of those early episodes of droids and Ewoks, and some of the animation is, is downright awful. You know, it got cranked out. It went on. It was a big hit for the time, and uh, a lot of other studios followed suit and were able to get stuff out quicker mm-hmm. and save themselves a lot of money.
0: And, and that stuff can be real, it can be real hit and miss sometimes. But you know, I mean, sometimes it's not. It's not the anime. It's not the overseas studio. It's not the studio's fault or the over the overseas works fault. It's more the premise of the series, whether that you know whether that makes it successful or not.
1: Oh, of course. I mean, there's so many factors in it, right? It depends on who's directing. It depends on the script. It depends on the storyboard. It depends on your budget. It, it's just there's an. It's not. Just, it's not the same as comics where you have like two or three people involved in the whole process. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of people in varying positions along the way who each have their thumb in the pie, and you know if someone doesn't pull their weight or has their hands tied in some fashion that can affect the end product
0: and i and i find it i find it i find it amazing um was watching the um, space ghost and dino boy uh box set and i was reading the credits at the end of the space ghost episode i mean for this being in the 60s the number of people involved in in this short episode just blows me away because
2: oh yeah
1: It's mind-boggling. When I first got into animation, you know, I I had some idea of that, but there's people who worked on Ed, Ed, and Eddie who I've never met. What? Well, there's all the animators in Korea. I never met any of them. I met a few of the directors, and there's people at Cartoon Network who were uh, standards and practice people. They're, you know, uh, executive producers. You know, uh, a lot of people who weren't in the studio who – were involved with other aspects. Uh, some of the editing staff, I didn't get to necessarily meet. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the people who worked at the voice record studios, we never or very rarely would go to something like that, just because we had our own uh, schedule we had to keep. Yes. So, I mean, you'd maybe meet some of them at a party or or whatnot, but there's still, I I bet there's still a good twenty percent that I've never met.
0: That is insane. Yeah. Yeah. See, and, and, I, and I and I couldn't fathom how large, how many people it takes to make a cartoon series. You know what I mean? It, <laughs> it just—it's kind of—it's kind of mind blow, uh, mind blowing when you think about it. Oh, for sure. there was a very big boom in cartoons i want to say from let's say i guess let's say late 70s to like the to to the mid 90s before cable really took over took over like syndicated in afternoon television on um, on you know uh, i guess uh, i guess local network channels you know it used to be i would come home from school Around two thirty-three o'clock, and I could literally and cartoons would have been on from two o'clock to five o'clock, and then I could watch the USA Cartoon Express from six to seven, and literally, so I have like five hours of cartoons without any issues. I mean, nowadays it's completely different. Your local affiliates don't even play cartoons anymore, and if they do, it's just that education, information, uh, uh equivalent stuff that they have to play because they have to have some form of Either animation or, or educational television, um, right? For X amount of hours per day or per week, so you'll get like those uh, Archie files, which is supposed to be like this X Files meets Archie stuff, which is just awful. And, well,
1: and it's and they all seem to be on at like four in the morning or something ridiculous too.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like it's kind of like um, Julian Lytle broke it down on Facebook for me uh, one day. He said pretty much. SpongeBob and Toonami shut down syndicated cartoons. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. He he said, you know, so pretty much, because like when Cartoon Network finally got that power and bought all the Hanna-Barbera stuff, they, you know, they pretty much ran. Not not only did they buy Hanna-Barbera stuff, but they started creating blocks of programming. And they started.
1: Well, the way I understood how that worked was Cartoon Network was owned by Ted Turner, Mm -hmm. who already owned. Uh, a crapload of the Warner Brothers cartoons and or Hanna Barbera. So essentially, Cartoon Network Studios is what used to be Hanna Barbera Studios.
0: You are correct. You're yeah. absolutely correct. Cause that's what it says in in uh, in the Hanna Barbera Treasury. It's amazing how many times Hanna Barbera switched owners. Really? They went through. They went through so many different owners because, like. I, <laughs> Long story short, Hanna-Barbera was running stuff for, like, a good period of time. And then Ruby Spears came around. And I think Filmways bought – it was it was Filmways. I think Filmways became Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears formed into one company. And then they got bought by, I think, like, Great American Broadcasting. And then Great American Broadcasting was about to go under, which hurt Hanna-Barbera's finances. And then Hanna-Barbera got bought up by um, – I think by Warner Bro- by Warner Brothers, uh, uh, essentially. I know I'm missing a couple of principal owners in there somewhere, but somehow it all just got absorbed into WB. Yeah. It, it is utterly insane how many times Hanna Barbera switched hands and they stayed afloat.
1: Yeah, I guess that says a lot about the enduring uh, ability of their their properties.
0: Yeah, I mean, think about it. If you really think about it, through all this, there have been a gajillion Scooby-Doo cartoons.
1: Scooby-Doo seems to have been popular my entire life.:
0: It will never go away. I'm no. serious man. It will never go away. Every few years there's a new rendition of Scooby-Doo. Heck there was one a couple of years ago where it was just like um, Scooby and Shaggy in a transforming mystery machine.
1: Oh, I don't even remember that.:
0: Yeah, that one was short. That one was short-lived. That was a couple of years ago on um, after Kids WB. Uh, merged with us when well, CW and WB merged together and uh, they used to have cartoons on the weekend before they sold it before they sold their cartoon block to 4Kids Entertainment yeah which is just a just a travesty and that's another thing that <laughs> sickened that's another thing that sickens me too and and we'll get to that in a second and I, and I lost track because I'm the king of tangents but um, but like I was saying there used to be a period of time where you know your local affiliates would have cartoons on from you name it I mean it could be anything from like you know two o'clock to five o'clock, six o'clock or whatever. Cartoon Network came in with programming blocks. Nickelodeon was really starting to become successful on, you know on their own with their own original cartoons. They didn't have to import Danger Mouse and you can't do that on television anymore and it was as if it was like the late '90s all this stuff just started going away from your local affiliates and it, yeah. and it, it just became Cartoon Network, you know, Disney, and Nickelodeon.
1: I would argue that all that stuff started happening even earlier, that with the success of Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead, a lot of networks started to to make shows on their own and and commission them themselves rather than buying like a syndication block. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, you think about like Ren and Stimpy really was the game changer at the time. So many shows have been influenced by that since it came out, for better or worse. Mm
0: -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, even Disney got in on that game because when they saw how popular Ren and Stimpy was, they came, a couple years later, they came out with a show called Schnookums and Meat.
1: I remember that show.
0: you know, and it was short-lived too. And it was along that, it's like, well, you know, and they use the how can we gross out kids factor.
1: Yeah, exactly and it It was essentially it was a literal Ren and stimpy ripoff
0: yes you know you're right they were absolutely those shows were definitely game changers and and and, and nickelodeon was real big on that i mean with rugrats that was a game changer i mean how many shows did you see for a period of time where people were trying to mock that animation style
1: well i mean klasky chupo did a good 50 plus percent of the the programming on nickelodeon for a a while they did like uh Rocket Power and Rugrats and Santo Bugito and any number of other things.
0: Didn't they also do like Wild Thornberries?
1: Yep. Jeez. Which I think essentially started off as a Jumanji cartoon, I want really? to say. Really? Wow.
0: And now that the syndicated cartoons have literally disappeared, Saturday mornings. You know, we're next. Those eventually disappeared. It's like all the all the the local affiliates and your local networks, your CBS, NBCs, ABCs, Fox. I mean, they just all just said, "Fuck it, we quit." Yeah. And, and it's kind of sad. And 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 what they'll say is is that we can't compete. We can't spend that money. And and I'm like, you know, I believe it, and I don't believe it at the same time. I mean, I know I know cartoons cost money. I, I know this stuff costs money. It's not cheap. It's not cheap, but you mean to tell me that you can't buy a cartoon, regardless of how good or how bad it is? And you mean to tell me there's not a toy manufacturer, a cereal company, somebody willing to pay good advertising, you know, a, you know, good money to have their stuff sold, you know, through a through a cartoon?
1: Yeah, I don't know, I. You know, I'm hard pressed to think of too many cartoons currently that have had really strong selling toy lines outside of maybe Ben Ten.
0: You do you can't keep Ben Ten off the shelves.
1: You but I mean? mean but I mean yeah. there's no G.I. Joe, there's no Transformers style cartoon. I mean, that Transformers animated, do you think that would have helped Move some product, but that show didn't stick around long enough. Did it? Did did it really do anything? Does that model even work anymore?
0: See, I don't know. See, I think part of the problem is the part of the reason why the whole, the whole toy line thing works and doesn't work. Like, say for instance, Batman, Brave and the Bold toys—they sell very well. I know. I know in my neighborhood, they don't stay on the shelves. Okay. Uh, You know, I know like the um, DC Universe stuff doesn't really does that doesn't stay on the shelves in our neighborhood either. Um, the GI Joe toys, well they're based off of the movies, those sold okay. But now we're going back to the actual cartoon-related stuff. Ben 10 flies off the shelves. Yeah, I mean you can't keep it. You can't keep it on the shelves. Um, Batman: Brave and the Bold. That stuff, you know, flies off the sh- off the shelves. I'm trying to think what else is out there. See, that's a whole other thing too. A lot of cartoons that are on nowadays. Well, like the Star Wars stuff. Star Wars stuff will sell regardless of what it is. It, right. it, it, it'll move. It, it, it will move. But I'm trying to think what other cartoons are out there right now that have toys. Because like you said, the Transformers animated series didn't have a long enough of, a, of an effect and a long enough of a run to make those toys even sellable.
1: Well, and I think too like even back in the day, there used to be a lot of shows that were for girls that sold toys as well. You think about My Little Pony and Jim and Rainbow Bright and a lot of this stuff Seems to just go like I think about specifically the Barbie stuff, just goes straight to D V D and I'm I often wonder, is it because the straight to DVD market is more lucrative? Or you know, where does where does that revenue come from? Like what what is the driving force between going straight to DVD as opposed to doing a, a weekly series to move those same products?
0: Well, see plus also you're dealing with something with like a direct to DVD feature. You're dealing with like probably a, a, a sixty-five minute sh- a sixty-five minute film, right? And so it's like I can take this I can take this sixty-five minute film off of based off of a property that's been around for eons like Barbie, and it's going to move units and and it could take <laughs> and we could keep it out of here as long as we want. We can sell it high the first two weeks and then after that it will be in five dollar bins across the country. But guess what? We're still making coin off of it.
1: But how is that any different than? Doing a weekly series and packaging it up as a a box set and and trying to move those DVDs wouldn't you be?
0: I mean, I no, no, I I'm I'm agreeing with you on that. It's if for some people it's all in the mentality because there's still this mentality to a point. Depending on the cartoon, there's still this mentality of well, it's a cartoon; it's disposable.
1: Right. Well, and I think you know, there's there's we're not in on the numbers, so there's probably things that uh, go on that we have no idea. What, that it makes perfect sense to us that they do it one way, but there's a reasonable explanation as to why they do it this way. Right. That we just have never considered because we're not accountants or or whatever.
0: Yeah. I, I still I still say for my taste, I still say there are too many middlemen and too many middle women.
1: Oh well that that goes without saying for just about any job.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean you cut some of the you cut, you cut you cut some of the fat. If you cut some of the fat, I'm telling you, there's more money to spend on the actual production to get what you need. Yeah. Um, talking about how like cartoons and like cartoons and, and, and like as far as relevation is selling toys and back in the especially back in the 80s and early 90s every toy had a cartoon yeah you know it's not it's not like that now and i'll be, and I'll be honest with you i kind of miss that it to a point to a point yeah because i it, do
1: and i don't because i mean a lot of the a lot of the regardless of how cool the toy line was some of the cartoons were downright
0: shitty so oh, oh yeah Oh, yeah. I mean, I ain't forgot about Street Sharks. That was all. <laughs> you know, I mean, like the toys are kind of cool because I'm like, wow, I could, I could take my turtle figures and put on my Street Sharks Street Sharks figures. You know, see, I, I kind of like that stuff. I mean, I always joked with a friend of mine that one day coming, you know, get, you know, the money's right, coming to some money. And like, I'm just going to like reinvent toy lines from yesterday that sold decently, but just didn't have that staying power. But yeah. I'm going to make the I'm going to make the figures compatible with like the most popular toy line at that time. So kids can, like, use their imagination and finally get that Centurion's G.I. Joe team up they always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that's, that's just me. But yeah, but, but, yeah, there was always the purpose of the cartoon was to sell a toy. The purpose of the, of the, of the, of the, of the toy was to sell a comic book or and vice versa. I mean, you know, you had the trifecta with G.I. Joe and Transformers. I mean, they hit all markets, toy, yeah. cartoon, comic well, book. Well, it was really symbiotic. Yes. Yes. I mean you would have an animated cartoon as an advertisement for the comic book.
1: Yeah. And I- you would see you would see advertisements for the other media in that media. So if you're reading the comic, you'd see an ad for the cartoon. If you're watching the cartoon, you'd see an ad for the comic or you know, an ad for the toys. And that that doesn't happen anymore.
0: No, it doesn't. It it's just it's just weird to me. It's weird how it's the cartoon market has—I I feel that it's restricted itself. I mean, there are certain things that have really improved over the years. I mean, we've had some great cartoons. Uh, as, as you know, I love Batman: Brave and the Bold, uh, but I, you know, and I love Justice League and its incarnations. I, ch- you know, Chowder, with me visually, I think it's beautiful. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I really don't know what's going on, and maybe I need to smoke some weed to understand. But,
1: <laughs> but, but it's vi- a very—it's sur- a very surreal cartoon. But I, I, you know, I give Chowder, especially, props for trying different things.
0: Yes. And, and see, seeing the thing is, is that the one thing that always worried me more and more once, you know, syndicated cartoons went away and you basically just have to watch cable to watch cartoons now. Yeah. Is that, the you know, the fear of lack of creativity because it used to be when you had the syndicated cartoons on the cable networks were like, well, you know what, we're going to try different stuff. And we're going to, it was some, you know, we're going to try different stuff and we're going to just, you know, throw all these crazy ideas on the wall and we'll see what sticks. And I kind of liked that. Not saying that everything was great, but they were willing to try different things. But once all your, once all your competition goes away, it's like, OK, we're good now. Give them the schlock. Yeah. And I understand that when you know when the economy is not in the in the greatest of shapes, you can't invest in a, in a lot of um, in a lot of quality of material sometimes, but just because you can't doesn't mean that you have to flood your network with reality programming
1: uh, card <coughs> <your> network um, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree but I mean it's the same thing I was talking about before where Executives like to see stuff quickly. The reason reality TV is popular is it's cheaper to produce, and you get uh, to see stuff right away. You can say, "Okay, we have a, a, a block of time to fill here. We need a, a show for this kind of demographic." You know, you can commission a cartoon that takes six months to a year to get before you start seeing thirteen episodes, or uh, you know, you can go out and make a reality show. You know a lot of them seem like they're done over a weekend or a couple of weeks, and then you have thirteen episodes in a very short amount of time. You have a lot less people involved, and you're fill your block up right away.
0: It's true. but in the long in the long run, what do you get from it? Because to me, to me it's it's like it's just like, it's a quick it's a quick cash cow. Oh, like, it's a band-aid. yeah yeah and and, and eventually eventually you're going to, have to pull that band-aid off the skin, yeah, exactly. You know, and you can't always rely on it. it. You know, temporarily, I'm cool with it. I may not like it, but I'm cool with it if you have to use it for a while. But don't let that be your crutch, because right. once that's your continual crutch, you are fucked. Because well, then you-
1: it'll be interesting to see if, if Cartoon Network uh, succeeds in rebranding themselves and and moving more and more away from doing cartoons in general will that be successful well i mean i i know there was a huge outcry when when they started pulling all their animated product and replacing it with these reality shows but i haven't heard has that been working for them or or not
0: yeah i've been trying to find out i've been doing like some intense research i'm like been trying to find any friends of mine that have like any any true insight or true numbers to that whether this is working or not see and for, them, and, and for them, for them switching from, they still call themselves Cartoon Network, but they emphasize their logo on that big C and that big N, so right. you don't have to see the word cartoon. Of course. Because you know, like you said, it's all about rebranding. See, Nickelodeon never had that problem.
1: They, no, Nickelodeon never said they were all exclusively
0: cartoons. They just said that they were the first kids network. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's smart. And, and, I mean, that was smart, and that was over 20, tr- you know, 20 30 plus years ago. You know, they knew what they were doing back then. They're like, we're not going to pigeonhole ourselves. And they never did. And I'm not saying there's there's nothing wrong with Cartoon Network. You know, you can have live action programming on there if you want to. There's no problem with that. But don't be ashamed of what you are.
1: No. And, I mean, why turn your back on something that what seemingly was working for a long time? I mean, if, if it stop being successful, you have to examine is it the product you're putting out or is it just that people are moving away from being interested in cartoons? I I find that hard to believe that people are tired of cartoons when Spongebob has been successful for 10 plus
0: years. Yeah. That little yellow dude is a freaking dynamo. Yeah. He's a money-making machine. Yeah. you know, And I I can't hate on him. I remember when when it first came out, I was like, this is going to be the dumbest thing ever. And I remember I watched the pilot and I'm like, I can't stop watching. I should be ashamed of myself. I cannot stop watching. It's, it's silly. It's you know. It's childish. But there's something about it that just makes me smile every time it comes on. And I'm like, I shouldn't be watching this.
1: It, well, I mean, that show, if you told someone who had never seen that show about it and just told them on paper what that show was, it sounds retarded. It doesn't? <laughs> yes, it, it does. It does. But for some reason, when you put it all together, it works. So... I mean, anyone – I get sick and tired of these uh, networks and stuff trying to focus on trends and find out, you know, oh, if such and such show is a big hit, we need more shows like that show. You can't tell me that the executive who greenlit Spongebob knew that that show was going to be a hit because it just – Oh, an undersea sponge and his buddy live under the water in a pineapple. It just sounds stupid. It, it doesn't even make sense as you, when you just break it down to what it is but it's huge absolutely huge and that just proves to me that there's no formula, there's no formula for success no one knows what's going to be a hit no one can say with any degree of certainty what's going to make money so I would, for me, I would love to see more networks taking chances on things and going but of course no one will just say I don't fucking know what I'm doing, I'll just <laughs> give you some money to make a show Right. that'll never happen <laughs>
0: So I want to definitely talk to you about this because we don't really see this cartoon much on television anymore. It's only reserved for special occasions and like you know holidays, and you know you only get it on marathons. Looney Tunes. Yes. It look. I understand times have changed. I mean, uh, sometimes I kind of think that that we've kind of become pussies sometimes because we're afraid to explain to our kids. I mean, not that I have kids because I don't. I have friends who have kids that are willing to explain that are willing to explain to their children, "Hey, you don't hit somebody with a mallet or anvil." Um,
1: okay, but let let me just say this. Okay, I never had someone explain that to me when I was a kid.
0: Oh, uh, neither, uh, neither did I. Yeah, go ahead.
1: No one sat down and said, "This isn't real." No one sat down and said, "If you strap uh, balsa wood and tar paper to your arms, that you'll be able to fly off the roof." Like it, it doesn't. I don't get it when people say that it's imitatable behavior because I think for the most part, kids know it's a cartoon. They know it's not real. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule. Yes. But I don't know. I don't see – and I'm sure I'm not one to judge how fucked up I am or not fucked up I am. But I don't really see how those cartoons stunted me. I've never killed anybody. Uh at least that I'll admit to. And I think for the most part, I turned out okay. Yes. And yes. I watched that stuff all the time.
0: Same here, I man. still
1: watch that stuff. I work doing that stuff. So, I don't know, maybe that's part of the problem. But I just don't get why people have to... Like, I understand wanting to explain some of the racist stuff. That I yeah. completely understand. You have to say, look, this was a different time. This isn't right What what it is. But at the time, it was socially acceptable, and and just making people aware of it, and and if they're laughing at it, laughing at it for with the with that knowledge, well, and not taking some of that stuff to heart. Oh, but again, you know, having to sort of censor, like they can't show um, Daffy Duck get shot in the face anymore because kids are going to go out and shoot each other in the face. Like I understand in some parts of the world, maybe that's a concern, but. Uh, I don't know. I, again, I don't have kids either, so maybe I can't really relate to it on the same level. Maybe, maybe kids are a lot stupider than I give them
0: credit for. <laughs> no, see, I, but see, I don't, I don't, I, don't you know, I I mean, I don't think that you know. I, it's just that it's kind of like with Nipplegate. You, you, we just don't want to take the time to explain to somebody, hey, this is what happened, and you know, you really shouldn't do that or, or be this way. What's wrong with tr- explaining something? To someone, I that I, I've never understood. I've never understood what's the problem or the or the issue with explaining something to someone.
1: Well, it takes effort on that person's part. I remember when Beavis and Butthead was huge, and all the parents were up in arms about them playing with fireworks and burning shit. And you know, the problem isn't the cartoon. The problem is the parents not sitting down with their kids and being aware with of what's going on with them and explaining to them. Why something's good or bad or whatever, and just waiting until something's happened, and it's easier in our litigious society to blame something else because maybe you'll get some money out of it.
0: Yeah, I, I just don't. I just don't like that, man. I I just want to be able, and if it wasn't for the fact that they're you know that they're available on DVD, you probably wouldn't see them at all. No, you know, because to me, it's also to a point where I kind of feel sometimes that. Warner Brothers is ashamed to have it. And I'm like, you should not be ashamed to have it. You know, for a long period of time, you know, Looney Tunes was in the forefront. It was, there was like only one other studio competing with Hanna-Barbera, and that was Warner Brothers. Right. Warner Brothers Animation was like the only other studio competing with Hanna-Barbera. I mean, yeah, you had to Patty Freeling, but they weren't putting out the, the magnitude of, of material that Warner Brothers Animation and Hanna-Barbera Well,
1: Barbera you got to remember too, though, that a lot of the Warner Brothers stuff that we grew up with. And people for years and years before even when we were around all came out from that sort of pre pre movie days that you were talking about earlier. There'd be the you'd go to the movies, you'd get a newsreel, you'd get a cartoon, and then you get your feature. And they were just all repackaged for T V. Yep. The majority of them. There's some that were done after T V. But uh, you know, that was the same same era that Fleischer was putting out Popeye and Betty Boop and Disney was putting out uh, Mary Merry Melodies and uh, you know all that stuff there was lots of stuff going on at the same time stuff that you and I probably haven't seen outside of TV ever
0: it's, a, a, <coughs> it's as if you know, we have a history of television but we really don't have a true history of animation and I don't think we have an artistic appreciation of animation well
1: it's the same argument that goes along with a lot of comics fans and you and I are both comic fans yes that the assumption is that comics are for kids and the same holds true for cartoons that cartoons are for kids but I've seen some cartoons that are definitely not for kids and that and I've seen cartoons that aren't for kids that that doesn't necessarily mean that it has sex and violence it just means that they're more sophisticated they're heavier uh, the subject matter is either darker or the storytelling is more complicated they're more like films I mean you can't tell me that uh Pixar is successful because their cartoons only appeal to kids they're successful because their cartoons appeal to everyone yeah and and you know that's sophisticated storytelling to be able to appeal to everyone and have everyone for the most part universally praise your work that means something's working and you know that's that just doesn't happen as much anymore
0: no it, it doesn't and that's why I just miss all the options that were out there to watch animation you know i miss that i, I miss the. i miss the fact that you know it's not like you know i want to you know i want I, you know i want yesterday back i don't want yesterday back and yes i do have the internet if i want to if i do have the internet and stuff like hulu and all these other channels on the internet that allow that allows you to watch cartoons of yesterday for free you know for free but what i'm saying is is that i miss the competition right that's There's- what i
1: miss no one's forcing the other people to sort of step up their game.
0: Right. Everybody's like, "Oh no, we're we're good. Nobody's really competing with us." It's not like Nick Disney and Cartoon Network are really competing with each other per se. You know, they're not. I mean, cuz like they're all part of bigger corporations. And say like, you know, cuz Nick's part of Viacom, you know. Disney XD and this part and Toon Disney is a part of no, actually Toon Disney is Disney XD. That's part of Disney. And Cartoon Network's part of Warner Brothers. So they all have a a, a bigger honcho to report to. And how NBC is owned by, you know, is owned by Universal. Universal, now Comcast, really. Um, Yeah. And CBS is owned by Viacom. So why would, so now Viacom's like, you know what? Why would we have Nickelodeon on Saturdays compete with CBS on Saturdays? That's just dumb. Let's just give them CBS Saturday morning and let the kids go watch Nickelodeon. Even though, still to this day, not everybody has cable.
1: That's what I was just going to say, that not everyone has access to the same channels. Mm -hmm. I mean, I live in Canada, and some of those things we don't get at all because of whatever reason. You know, we get a lot of American channels, but we don't get Cartoon Network. We don't get Nickelodeon, at least not where I live. Wow. And, uh, you know, we get them repackaged on Canadian networks, and sometimes two or three years later. So, you know, we have a, a, a cartoon channel called um, Teletoon, and we have another kids' network called YTV. And, you know, a lot of their programming is bought from the States or other places around the world. And, you know, we get some of the things, but we don't get some of the things. And, like, uh, if you're a fan of the current season of SpongeBob, well, it may be... Like you, well, that's, here's a perfect example: is uh, Batman: Brave and the Bold, which you mentioned earlier. That show airs here on uh, uh, the Cartoon Teletoon, and um, we have yet to have any of the latest season. And I think they're over halfway through the latest season. But did you speaking of the the sort of being afraid of the of the history of their characters and stuff? Did you see the thing today about um, Speedy Gonzalez?
0: What what what's wrong with Speedy? What happened to Speedy Gonzalez?
1: Well, there was a thing today. I don't. I just read it quickly, but George Lopez is involved with uh, bringing Speedy back. Uh, I can't remember if it's a feature film or a TV series, and how that um, they want to sort of avoid the 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 lazy Mexican stereotype that Speedy has sort of been a part of before. And not to say that that isn't something that should be addressed, but it just seemed like why does it have to be? If you're going to change it all now, why does it have to be Speedy Gonzales?
0: The main well, the main reason why it has to be Speedy Gonzales is because people still know the, know the name Speedy well, Gonzales even even though even though you you have not you have not seen a Speedy cartoon on TV in a good period of time.
1: Right. I mean, I don't think they show them on like Boomerang or anything
0: anymore. It, it's but see, it's still it, from from a business standpoint, it's it's um, brand association. Right. Uh, that, that that's all that is. That's
1: well, that makes that makes sense, but at the same time, from from a logic perspective, right. Well, it doesn't. You know, you're gonna you're basically creating an, a new character that has attributes of an old one.
0: It, it's just like when Looney Tunes or Warner Brothers said, "How can we get?" Today's kids to, to to make you know to how how can we get them to feel that today's Looney Tunes are hip? We'll make oh you put them in uh, hip hip hop clothes. Oh no no that that too the hip hop clothes stuff cracked me up. I'm like <laughs> I, remember, I remember there was even a period of <coughs> time there's even Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown characters in hip hop clothes. Oh God! I'm glad I don't remember that. Oh man, that stuff had had me rolling. That had me rolling. I was like, I gotta find me a Snoopy and a Fubu jacket. But anyway. Oh dear, dear Lord. No, no, no! But lunatics when they made the Looney Tunes characters superheroes, yes. and they were like the next generation. They were because it wasn't like Bugs. Was but
1: like, they turned it. They turned it into an action show. Yeah. It wasn't even funny.
0: It was bad. I mean, it's
1: just. Ugh. I mean, the closest thing we got to sort of someone taking them and doing, being true to what they really are, was Tiny Toons and Animaniacs to a certain degree. Like those were cartoons in the same spirit of the the uh, original Looney Tunes stuff. Yeah,
0: we'll see, but you got you got um, Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment to, to thank for that.
1: Oh, I know, and that th- you don't have that kind of backing anymore no. for, for stuff like that. See,
0: oh. and that was when Dub Warner Brothers was killing, um, was killing the uh, syndicated an- animation market. I mean, they like they, you know they had that deal with Fox, and yeah. they, you know they helped Fox run the the mornings and afternoons sometimes. And then when um, Kids WB really got the go ahead, and Animaniacs went off of Fox, and all the other stuff went off to Fox and went to Kids WB. They spun off a ton of shows. I mean, there's a lot of creativity. You had the bizarreness of Freakazoid. You had I love Freakazoid. Freakazoid is a great cartoon. That's that's there's
1: more. there's oh, jokes in that that only animators would get. <laughs> there's a there's a scene where uh, uh, there's a I can't remember exactly the context, but he says something about there's a picture of a pair of lips on water, and then the lips sink into the water, and then Freakazoid says, "Bad lip sync." you know it's a it's a it's an animation joke because it's like the lips are literally sinking but then lip sync is timing out the mouth movements to match what the voice actor is saying lip sync so bad puns but i mean your average eight-year-old kid is not gonna get that i got it i thought it was hilarious
0: oh no i tell you what cracked me up is that one episode where freakazoid got his car he got his a car or whatever it's called, and he's like, yeah. "How toyetic can you get?" And like, th- the show stops. The word "toyetic" comes on the screen, and and the um, announcer uh, pr- pronounces the word and gives the definition of what "toyetic" means.
1: Well, and I mean the fact that they had Jack Valenti in the show. Yes does any does any twelve year old or younger know who the hell Jack Valenti was at the time? No, no. I mean that's hilarious. To again, to me, probably no one else. Maybe the writers and the storyboard artists, but. Ah, it's so weird. I love the weirdness of that show.
0: Oh, it was classic, man. I have to, I have to get volume two. I have volume one here at the yeah, house. Yeah, same here. I need
1: to get the second one.
0: Um, but, you know, like stuff like hysteria. I thought hysteria was funny. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it taught me something without letting me know that it taught me <coughs> something. Right. And sometimes those, and sometimes for, for studios, those could be the best things to put out there. I enjoyed hysteria. I enjoyed detention. And, you know, all that stuff. I, they, was just, they were just—they were really—they cre- were really creative with it, and I just—I miss that creativity because I miss the competition because competition brings creativity and it brings the best out of everybody.
1: Well, I just wonder if it's going to take on a different form. Like, will will we see the advent of more internet-based programming? You know, once once we get sort of essentially channels or networks online, will they start having the money and? ability to commission series that way
0: there's a possibility see it all depends some of it depends on what people are willing to pay for something also how do you want to do it i mean let's say for instance we decided to collaborate and make a cartoon series and we gave the we made like two 15 minute episodes okay yeah you put it out there on, on the internet and like we said if you want to see a full 13 episode season you could pay this packet pay for this package and this you know and if we get x amount of people to pay for this package you will get a 13 episode season period and if you contribute and we get a full you know if we get enough money to do it there's a 13 episode season and then if you know we put it out on dvd those who contributed in the first place get the dvd at a highly discounted rate but everybody else has to pay the full price Right. See, there's there's a way to work this out. It's just that nobody knows because I don't I don't think there's an act. I don't. With the internet, there's not really a formula.
1: Well, that's. I think that's what it's going to take. Is someone's going to need to sit. Whoever is the person that'll crack that nut of the system that will work uh, is the one who's going to be the game changer and. I don't think anyone's quite there yet. They're still trying to figure out how the hell they can convince you to start paying for an online newspaper when they've been offering it for free for the last five years. Right.
0: So it's it's all it's it's all about balances. If you don't balance it out, people won't come back. Yeah, uh, you know, or people won't be people won't be willing to give it a try.
1: But, and I think also it'll take something like I don't know how much faith we should all be putting into something like the iPad, but it's you know I look at the iPod and how that really changed the delivery method of a lot of things for people online music wasn't really a big seller until the ipod became affordable for the majority of the population
2: yeah
1: you know so that really that device changed how we decided we wanted to get our music Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then that led to the advent of stuff like this what we're doing now podcasts and all sorts of other things and you know, it'll take something like an iPod or, you know, again, I don't know if the iPad will be that thing because essentially it's just a giant iPod, but, you know, it's going to take something like that to to change it. Like if people can get TV directly streaming without any delays on a handheld device so they can watch cartoons on the bus when they want to or, or whatever.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it can work. It's just going to be one of those things where it's just going to take time and... And, you know, and eventually either A, people will dig it because, you know, there are a lot of people that complain when the iPod first came out, first first came out. They're yeah. like, well, you know, this is stupid. Nobody will buy this. Now, you know, people have MP3 players of all kinds. Yeah. Heck, there's this thing called Flow TV right now that's being sold here in the States that Best Buy and another, and another retailer is getting behind. It's essentially an iPod, but it just plays TV programs and you, have, you pay a subscription. Huh. And, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, and to me, I look at it. To me, it's silly because it's like, well, why pay a subscription when I, I got an iPod and I can get any program I want? I mean, any TV show I pretty much want from iTunes. It, it's kind of weird for me. I'm like, and I got cable. So why do I really need Flow TV? Not only that, but I'm like, I can watch TV on the Internet, too.
1: So Well, and a lot of that stuff. You can get for free, whether through legal or illegal means, if you really want it. Yeah. So why, what's the incentive to pay for something that you could potentially find for free?
0: Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's a mess. You know, the, inter- the internet opened up Pandora's box. <laughs>
1: literally, yes. <laughs>
0: it, it, opened literally. Up, it opened up Pandora's box, and it's, it's in need of, it needs to be fixed. It needs to be worked out, but... um. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting time for, for media. Period. Yes. Um, especially animation, especially animation. But I can, mean, you know, I actually I could talk for like another two three hours about this. <laughs> but before we go, where else can people find you?
1: Um, right now, I guess the main presence I have on the web is I have a sketch blog. Uh, that I don't post on often enough but you can find some of my drawings there it's at bigjimsucks.blogspot.com and there's I'm sure there's a a link to an email address or whatnot there if you want to contact me through that but that's the the main thing right now and you know unless you live in Vancouver and want to come hang out and bullshit about uh, cartoons then you know you can do that too
0: well cool, well cool, we'll check it out I definitely want to have you back on the show again because um, I'm going to we're going to keep doing episodes where we talk about cartoons and whatnot. And we'll have like specialty stuff. And, you know, <laughs> if there's a cartoon that you want to talk about, you know, let me know what that is. And we'll work out a time and we'll come back and like we'll break it down for the people. Awesome, man. I hope people enjoy this. Oh, I, th- I think they will, man. I-, I think giving them that insight on on how um, you know on how this stuff really goes down. I think it really opens up people's minds, man. And, or hopefully blows some people's minds. So
1: Well, I, you know, I don't know how you feel about this too, but if people have questions about it and if I, you know, if I can answer them, I'd be more than happy to do that.
0: If, hey, if y'all want to an- ask ask a question by all means, y'all feel free. Ask it on the forum boards, send us an email, a smoke signal, by all means let us know because um, you know Jim Jim's got insight on it I've read about it and I've studied it but I've never worked in it so well
1: and I'm not an expert by any means and a lot of it's informed by my opinion but uh, I'll, I'll do my best to uh, give you the best answer I can
0: oh cool man I, I, pre- I do appreciate it I, I do appreciate it and, and Jim sir thank you for your time and thank you for coming on the show homie
1: thank you for having me
3: Today actually I read um what was it Green Lantern Corps with um, Guy Gardner I I read the 2 issue arc Guy Gardner as the Red Lantern. Oh really? Yeah, that was good. Did you are you getting Green Lantern Corps at all? No, not no, I'm not. I I got I got some of the original the earlier Blackest Night
0: tie-ins but I haven't haven't had any since. So you can go ahead and seriously spoil it for me. It's okay.
3: All right. Well, I'll give you the cheap version. The Black Lanterns are just destroying Oa, and they're going after the power battery, right? Kyle goes to save him. You know, he goes in there, he goes, and he charges the battery, whatever, and then Guy sees that he's dead. Next thing you know, this red this red ring just slips right on uh, on Guy's finger because one of the Red Lanterns that was in, like, one of their prison cells, they let him out to help him fight the Black Lanterns, and he died. And so, you know how the rings always find another. So they found him, and now a... Star Sapphire came and resurrect Kyle because Kyle is in love with Sinestro's daughter. All of a sudden, it's starting to sound like a really big soap opera, huh? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, um, and so, long story short, uh, he gets resurrected from their love. They share one heart, yada yada yada. <laughs> um, so Kyle's like, "Well, we gotta, um, you know, we gotta get that ring off a guy." And one of the other Green Lanterns is like, no, look at him. He's got a red ring and a green ring. He is whooping their ass. (laughs) And he is killing these things like 20 at a clip, just messing them up, right? So they're like, let him do his thing. Well, then, um, you know that big Green Lantern? That's a planet Mogo, right? Mm -hmm. He shows up because they put out a priority alert for all Green Lanterns to come to Oa. Yes. So they're like, what's he going to do? And uh, Silek goes, it's not a he, it's a it. It's a planet. He goes, Well, what's that planet? What's it gonna do? And he goes, I have no idea. <laughs> so, what happens is they knock the black lanterns start corroding the power battery, they knock it over like you know, it looks like everything's just gonna be doomed, 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 right? So, Mogo increases his planet's gravitational pull, just sucks everything off of Oa, oh, uh, black lanterns, uh, uh, and all, all the land, everybody's just coming, to, <laughs> just coming down now, right? <laughs> They're just coming. And he's all explaining it to them as it happens. Yes. And he's like, impact in five seconds and all this other stuff. And then right before they hit the uh, the planet, he gave the Green Lanterns back their power so they could, like, float above so they wouldn't get, like, smacked into the ground. And he sucked all the Black Lanterns into his own core so they'll burn forever. That is fantastic. Thank you, Peter Tomasi. Huh? <laughs> what? Can that- this guy write a story? Oh, see, that's how you do it.
0: That is fantastical. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so now, so now, like um, he wants Guy to uh, Kyle wants Guy to take the ring off, and and you know before the planet sucked them all down, they 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 got into that little battle there that all superheroes do when they're trying to talk each other out of nonsense. And Guy thinks it's a trick from the Black Lantern. So so now after everything that happens, all the Green Lanterns are floating there. And it's all peaceful and everybody's like, but where's Guy? And you turn around, and there he is. He's got the Guy Gardner costume, all done up, red lantern style. And he goes, You don't have to find me. I found you. And that's how the issue ends. And I'm like, Oh,
2: oh, awesome.
0: That that's how you that's how you do a comic right there. A
3: planet sucked black lanterns into its core. <laughs> for them to every time they regenerate they can't regenerate because they just keep burning up Actually, have I've had the, the first issue to de- <laughs> the Dio wrote for The Outsiders uh-huh. for like a week now. Have you read it yet? No, I'm afraid. Because I'm afraid it's going to read like my impression of him. No. <laughs> He's going it... to be like, and then Jail Force comes over there, Dan, and, and then uh, that guy over there does this thing. <laughs> 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 oh, by the way, Sean, there goes that Dan DiDio interview. Oh, <laughs> um. <laughs> Man, I
0: I think we lost that. I think we lost that after the last time you did his imitation of. (laughs) Like, this fool is going to kill us. He will never hire me now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah, 10 years from now or whatever, five years from now, you're going to be in an interview. he's going to, oh, yeah, you're the one that did that uh, that podcast there, huh, with that guy there. He thinks he's funny.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm screwed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm screwed, man. He won't even let me write Dino Mutt when this is all said and done. (laughs) That Um, would be all. I would buy a Dino Mutt. I I would, too. Um, I have, because, you know, at least every now and then when we always talk, somebody has to bring up G.I. Joe. Of course. I have G.I. Joe Snake Eyes, written by Kevin Van Hook and Ray Park, with art by Lee Ferguson and inks by Mark Deering, by IDW. This book takes place in the movie Joe universe. It takes place a little bit after the first movie, and what's happening is, is back in Snake Eyes' um, Snake Eyes' hometown, somebody ha- is impersonating him and killing people, killing mob bosses and you know and bad folks, but they're doing it in Snake Eyes' name, so Snake Eyes has to go and uh, and investigate and find out who this uh, perpetrator is, so. That's pretty much the premise of of, of the of the whole limit series. I have read the first two issues. The first issue, you get a background of uh, Snake Eyes growing up, learning you know learning the martial arts um, in his school uh, taught by the uh, was it Hard Master? I'm trying to remember if it yes. was the hard. Okay, yes, thank you. Um, by the Hardmaster, teaching him, you know teaching him the ways, and you get to see a young Snake sh- a young a young Storm Storm Shadow, a young Snake Eyes, and a uh, a young kid by the name of uh, Kakamura, who you know is just infatuated with both Storm Shadow, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. You get some of that first issue that at the end of the first issue you get the battle, you know, Snake Eyes versus Snake Eyes at the last page. And then you get the big fight between Snake Eyes and Snake Eyes in the second issue, and you also get some, rele- you know, some uh, re- um, revelations as well when it, when it ends. I tell you what, I actually like this. I have some issues. The art looks great, but sometimes you don't know what's going on in the story in some panels. So it gets kind of confusing in moments. Not, not completely, but there are some moments where the panel flow just doesn't really come off as smooth. The art is, the art is cool. If this dude did, if, um, if, this, uh, if Lee Ferguson did a movie continuity Joe book, a continuing movie continuity Joe book, I would buy it off the, off the art alone because I like it that much because it fits. Um, the story, you know, I'm not sure how much Ray Park has contributed to this as opposed to uh, Kevin Van Hook. Not a bad story at all. I think this could serve as a regular G.I. Joe story and not just a movie continuity story. I, I really
3: but I think they, they're having another miniseries. Oh, they are? The, bo- the movie continuity called Cobra Hiss or something.
0: Oh, yes. You're absolutely right. Yes. But no, I dig it. I really do. And, and you know me. Normally, when it comes to these movie books, I'm, I'm the first to say no. But
3: Yeah. But,
0: yeah. No, but this one? This one, I'm down. I'm down with it. I mean, plus, you can't really go wrong with ninjas anyway, especially no. ninja, ninja commandos. Can,
3: right, you can, exactly. You can
0: never go wrong with, with a ninja commando who don't talk.
3: Strong, uh. silent type.
0: Yes. <laughs> no, but I digress.
3: I uh, digress. What, what you got, man? Because I wasn't, I wasn't going to talk about this book, because I was going to keep it on the download that I was reading it, but since you watched Small Wonder and knew when it was coming out on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> once again... It was on so, Twitter, so, and I so, saw uh, it. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, sir. That's not the point. <laughs> point is, your g- geek cred now is losing. It's falling. All right. I read, get ready for this, Jennifer Love Hewitt's Music Box, Issue 1 and 2. I'm officially closing down this
0: podcast as of right now.
3: Stop it. Listen. <laughs> Stop. You have to listen to me. Okay. Now, this is, all right, it was created by Jennifer Love Hewitt, written by Scott Lobel, and artwork by Michael Gatos. This wasn't bad. This is about a music box that goes into these people's lives. The first issue is about a detective who finds it, uh, this music box in the evidence locker, but it doesn't have anybody's name on it or whatever, no case file or anything, so he takes it home. And he even says, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this, you know, 19 years on the force or whatever, I never took anything out of the evidence locker, and here I am. So now, every time he plays it, it shows him a premonition of a crime, right? Okay. So he's able to stop these crimes before they happen, but the thing of it is, every time he does this, it's driving him a little more crazy. And then he sees this premonition of somebody opening fire at the precinct, right? Right. And it turns out it was him. He ran in there with his gun drawn because he thought, there was a crime being committed, and he wouldn't listen to reason. And I guess he he looked like he was about to pull the trigger, and them suckers killed him. Hmm. And he just said, thank you. It was weird. It was like a Tales of the Crypt kind of story, you know? And then the second issue is a classic. The old guy marries the um, the uh, owner of the big company's daughter, becomes a big wig, but he's cheating on her. She likes to shop at flea markets, and he found like the, the music box there, and he brought it home for her, and yada yada, right? And uh, he really hates his in laws and all this other stuff, and he's about to tell her that they're going to get divorced and all this other stuff. But she goes on a plane plane uh, trip there to New York. <laughs> I'm still in Dandadio mode, sorry. And uh, the plane crashes, and his wife dies, and he's having a blast. He 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 couldn't believe it. He's like, "This is fantastic, you know. I, now I'm going to get all the money, and I get you, and this, that, and the other thing." And he. So then he gives the uh, music box to his girlfriend. Now he he can't he can't see his his mistress there for like two months because you know he'll lose out on the money he'll get fired and all this other stuff. And he basically he plays the wounded son-in-law where even his his father-in-law and mother-in-law are like, okay, you know our daughter's dead, but it's time for you to move on. You should really think about dating and all this other stuff. So then he he marries his um, his mistress and she's acting like really weird and all this other stuff and. uh... Long story longer, the spirit of his ex-wife possesses his girlfriend, you know, his new wife. And, like, she dyes her hair blonde. She was a redhead, and his original wife was blonde. She starts acting all weird. And, and then uh, the guy dies. Uh, he, he fell down this – this. Uh, there was this piece of property in his backyard that was going over, like, a cliff he needed to have fixed, and he never did. And that's how he died. Accidentally, he fell down the thingy. He was in a dinghy. And at the end, you find out that uh, his wife possessed his girlfriend's body. You know, she's on vacation after she got her revenge. Not what you thought from Jennifer Love Hewitt, huh? Thank you. <laughs> give <laughs> things a chance, Sean. Hey, man, I do give things a chance. I'm just playing. Okay. Playing
0: <laughs> but, you know, see, that means Scott <laughs> Scott Lobdo put in work.
3: Oh, hell yeah. No, I mean, she was probably like, and then there's this box and it has things. <laughs> and then you know, fill in the blanks. You're the comic bookie guy. Yeah, it's probably like that. Mm-mm. You so know- I, ain't, I ain't gonna say shit about Jennifer Love Hewitt because Jennifer Love Hewitt likes to date ugly comedians, <laughs> and I am an ugly ass comedian. Oh. So when she dumps, uh, what's his name? What's that dude's name? She's dating? I have no idea. The guy from the Scream movies. Jamie Kennedy. Okay. Yeah, she's she's dating Jamie Jamie Kennedy. Wow. So I I, I think I got a shot. Over oh, there, you see. There's always hope. Hold out hope. <laughs> That's right.
0: And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, xo one and the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.